You're listening to the really useful podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. Welcome to the show. My name's Christian Corley. For the next 20 to 30 minutes, you can enjoy a collection of tips and tricks to help you make the best use out of your technology. I'll be joined by my podcasting co-hosts, Ben Stegner and Gavin Phillips, as we walk our way through a collection of technological tips that will make you realise that uh, you haven't been using things quite as well as you should have been. Before we get on with the tricks and tips, however, uh, there's a little bit of technology news to get through. This is the tech news that matters about devices that you're likely to be using or already use. First of all, if you've broken your Samsung gallery screen, you can now repair it and other things yourself. Samsung and iFixit have launched a self-repair program so that you can fix your phone screen and battery, charging port or the back cover yourself. They've teamed up to launch a self-repair program that will enable these parts to be ordered along with the necessary tools. This means you can fix your Samsung Galaxy phone at home. The program's rolled out in the US and enables you to repair your screen and other parts of the device with more options on their way soon. Originally announced earlier this year, the repair program is now available to join. You can order through iFixit in the US That's where you'll find the replacement parts for Galaxy S20 and S21 in the Standard Plus and Ultra variants, as well as the Samsung Galaxy S7 Plus to start off with. Samsung and iFixit are planning to add more devices in future. Now, as part of the order, you'll receive genuine Samsung parts, as well as the tools and screws you need to complete the job and comprehensive step-by-step instructions to walk you through the process. You'll also get a returns label to ship off the parts you've removed and no longer need, and they'll go to recycling. But how much is this likely to cost? Well, for a standard Galaxy S21 phone, you can replace three parts, the screen and battery. That will set you back $167.99. The USB-C charge port, that's $66.99 and the back cover also $66.99. Now the prices do depend on the model you're working with, the larger Galaxy S21 Ultra screen and battery for instance, they cost $70 more. The screen repairs include these phone screen, metal frame, bezel and battery, and you can't replace just the screen or battery on its own. Samsung also recommends that you shouldn't replace swollen batteries yourself. Uh, Swollen batteries indicate an issue with the chemical makeup of the battery. They can explode or simply rupture. Either way, there's a bit of a problem in terms of chemical leakage, possible burns, worse. Now this move marks another big step forward for the Right to Repair initiative, which we've featured repeatedly on the Really Useful podcast over the years. The movement marked a notable achievement in 2021 when Apple announced its own self-repair scheme and Samsung scheme uh, sits alongside that. Samsung and iFixit say that their new program will help make phones last longer, help consumers save money and benefit the environment by reducing e-waste. It's a way to make your phone last longer, basically. 
Samsung already leads the way in software support for Android and offers four full operating system updates for its major devices, along with five years of security updates. I've personally experienced Samsung's uh, doorstep repair service a few years ago, which long-running listeners may recall. This will hopefully go some way in ensuring that hardware will last for as long as the software. Five years for a phone is good going, and it's rare in a world of uh, breakages, broken screens, and that sort of thing, and easy trade-ins. Hopefully, if you have the skills to do repairs and the equipment is as readily available as it's expected to be, thanks to iFixit and Samsung, your phone will last longer. We'll move on to some security news now. The LockBit ransomware is exploiting Windows Defender. It's a type of ransomware known as LockBit 3.0, which is being used to deploy Cobalt Strike payloads via the Windows Defender's command line tool. Cybersecurity firm Sentinel-1 has reported a new threat actor using the LockBit 3.0, also known as LockBit Black, to abuse the mpcmdrun.exe file. This is a command line utility that forms part of the Windows security system. It scans for malware, so it's no surprise that it's being targeted in this attack. It's being used to deploy post-exploitation Cobalt Strike payloads, which can lead to data theft. Therefore, this affects everyone from standard users to businesses. Now, LockBit has already been used to abuse the VMware command line. This is an executable file known as VMwareXForLogs.exe. In this DLL sideloading technique, the attacker exploited the log-for-shell vulnerability and tricked the VMware utility into loading a malicious DLL instead of the original harmless DLL. In Sentinel-1's blog post, which we'll link to in the show notes, it stated that VMware and Windows Defender have a high prevalence in the enterprise and a high utility to threat actors if they are allowed to operate outside of the installed security controls. Attacks of this nature, wherein security measures are evaded, are becoming increasingly common with VMware and Windows Defender having been made key targets in such ventures. Mitigation is basically a case of awaiting the next Windows security update to deal with this vulnerability. Amazon Prime is kind of, it's not talked about as much as Netflix and Disney Plus and various other services, but Amazon Prime Video is something that a lot of people have because they've paid for it uh, along with, you know, as part of the whole Amazon Prime service. And it's very easy to forget about Amazon Prime, actually, because it's integrated so well with um, if you've got an Amazon Fire TV stick or box or if you have an Amazon Fire tablet, it's there and it's ready to use. Now, at the time of uh, us having this conversation, all the Bond movies, all the Bond movies are free to watch on Amazon Prime Video if you have an Amazon Prime subscription or you have the monthly uh, Prime Video subscription. That enough is reason, in my mind, for you to have Amazon Prime Video. But the thing about Amazon Prime Video is that it has a few secrets and a lot of people don't know about uh, our colleague Joe Keeley has compiled these, and there's nine secret Amazon Prime videos that you're probably not using. Uh, and I'm going to go through them in a moment. I just want to check. Ben, do you use Amazon Prime Video? I do, yeah. I've had Prime for a couple of years. Um, I don't actively use it like every day. It's more if I want to watch something and, and it's on there, I, I go to that, obviously, since it's included. Um, yeah, there, there's I, there's more I'd like to watch on it, but I don't I don't use it all the time. But I do use it on my smart TV is where I usually access it. 
Cool. Yeah, I use it uh, quite a lot. We usually use it through the Fire Stick. Watch old episodes of NCIS <laughs> at bedtime. I don't know why. It's just a thing we do. Um, if Bond is still on there, I need to take advantage of that because I've only seen a handful of the Bond movies. Yeah, I, um, I've watched a few um, on there. I mean, I've, I've seen every Bond movie at the cinema since 1985. Oh, wow. That's, that's quite a feat. What was the a first view, one you saw? A View to a Kill. Okay. And yeah, I've seen them all at the cinema since then. One of them I missed until it was really close to the end of its run. But aside from that one, I've seen them all almost done in the first week. But uh, um, And I would have seen Octopussy at the cinema, which is the 1983 movie, if it were not for the fact that at the same time, there was a more important movie to watch called Return of the Jedi. <laughs> I see, I see. So, yeah. Anyhow, that's uh, beside the by. By the by. Um, number one, the first thing you can do is you can hide a movie or TV show in the Amazon Prime Video app. Um, you can do um, hide this movie season and it just, you know, it doesn't appear in your recommendations again. And if you want to make it visible again, you can go to the cog icon, click settings and switch to the hidden videos tab and click don't hide next to whichever you want to see again. Uh, now, if you use Amazon Prime Video, you may know that this content comes and goes. And if you want to see stuff before it goes, you can click categories and choose only for limited time or prime, or that will show you the things that are about to go soon. There's other things you can do. You can share Amazon Prime with someone, much like you can with pretty much any streaming service, a friend, uh, family member, whatever. You can disable autoplay, which is quite useful because um, I think they all do this, don't they? Disney Plus seems to do this. Netflix almost certainly does this. Is when you um, highlight something and then it just starts playing automatically and you kind of don't really want it to. Yeah, I hate both forms of autoplay. I yeah. hate the episode ends and goes to another thing autoplay, and I hate the like hover over something and it plays automatically autoplay. I think they're both annoying. Yeah, you can disable this in Amazon Prime Video by going to the cog icon, clicking settings, switching to the tab labeled player, and then turn autoplay to off. You can also do the same for autoplay trailers. Uh, there's a cool feature. When you pause something on Amazon Prime Video, this thing called X-Ray appears and it will give you information about the people that are in the scene at the moment. And you can scroll through it left and right. You can look at the cast. You can look at the characters. You can look at the music as well. And it can give you more details about the scene, people that wrote it, directed it, that sort of thing. Some TV shows, you can look at random episodes, view random episodes. But this only works in the Android version of the Amazon Prime Video app. And you basically uh, do this by clicking, um, opening a show, then clicking more and selecting shuffle episodes. It isn't available for all shows. Uh, I guess with uh, continuing dramas, it would maybe not make sense. Um, yeah, if it's not, like a general, a general sitcom or something. Yeah, it's it probably, probably okay. be like, like Seinfeld or something where you can watch it out of order. Yeah, exactly. That, That's probably okay. This to me, though, is like going to an album and just shuffling the songs, which is just, I don't know why you would ever do that. So this to me is makes me sad. But Well, I for compilation I albums, I don't think it's a problem. For albums that are a group or an individual's kind of artistic endeavor and creation and a lot of time and effort has been spent in recording the songs to then be placed in a specific order to right. create the album then shuffle is not the thing to do is it i 
agree, but I know that's not the popular opinion these days. I'm super album oriented. Download for offline playback is something else you can do with Amazon Prime videos. And it's a really good idea to do that, particularly if you have children and you're going out the house, is to make sure you're downloading the stuff that they want to watch before you go out rather than being forced to use your phone as a tethered internet mobile internet hub or whatever uh you can also host a watch party on amazon prime video um it requires other people with amazon prime but you can then uh just click on the um watch party icon from the show and create a watch party and invite up to 100 people and they all get to view it at exactly the same time and finally you can find the content that is free to you uh with the free to me tab um, that is something that's only recently been introduced. It used to be a bit of a pain to f- go through and find the stuff that is free with Prime Video uh, because it gets mixed in with stuff that you have to pay for. And incredibly, even though you're paying for Prime Video, there is still stuff on there that you do still have to pay for. But on the other hand, so does everyone that doesn't have Prime Video. So, so. Yeah, it's a confusing look. It's the mix of services. It's kind of like with Prime Music, where you might think, oh, Prime Music, it's like Spotify, but it's just, it's not really. It's just some music is yeah, kind of yeah. unclear. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's absolutely true. And with, with Prime Video, you can kind of buy, um, I mean, you could subscribe to Discovery Channel, you can subscribe to BritBox, all via Prime Video. So it's kind of useful to have it all in one place, but at the same time, it can be confusing if you don't want to use those. So um, so that's what uh, you can do with Amazon Prime Video that you probably didn't know about. Uh, let's move on to uh, how to fix Amazon Prime Video when it is not working. Um, before we do this, I'm always puzzled by the number of people who don't seem to use Amazon Prime Video. But even if they have an Amazon Prime Even if they Prime have account, Amazon Prime, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I went a long time without it, actually. I cancelled my Prime account, but uh, I've actually just done the opposite. I've cancelled my Netflix account <gasps> and hang taken on, hang on, hang up. On. That's, uh, there's, a, there's a button for that, isn't there? Is it that one? <laughs> Not quite what I had in mind, but it kind of does the job, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Ne- nothing nailed it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I cancelled Netflix and took up my took up an Amazon Prime account again. Um, at least because you get the additional benefit of the postage and all that with Amazon Prime. And Netflix has just got progressively worse, hasn't it? I don't. I, we rarely use Netflix. We have a kind of a uh, family thing going on. So we have Disney Plus and we share that with my wife's sister's family who live around the corner and then they have Netflix and they share that with us and then we have Amazon Prime and we also have uh, BritBox which we don't share with anyone but I'm pretty sure they're using Netflix, uh, they're using Disney more than we're using Netflix mm, Yeah, you know what I mean so yeah, I can't remember the last time we watched anything on Netflix no it's gone, it's completely gone hello? yeah, I just don't know what it was um okay. <laughs> so uh yeah uh so anyway amazon prime video um can be a little bit tricky uh tricksy from uh, time to time and if it's not working then there's various things that you need to check out um i'm going to uh, kind of uh, scoot over most of this you'll find the full details in the show notes as ever um but basically you need to make sure first of all that your amazon prime video account is actually active because if it's not active you ain't getting in 
You also need to ensure that your device meets the minimum requirements. Um, at the time of writing, it was Windows 7 or newer, Mac OS 10.7 or newer. Linux operating systems are also supported, but um, it would really depend on your internet speed and your browser version uh, across the board, really. Uh, so you need to be using Google Chrome 59 or later, Microsoft Firefox, sorry, beg your pardon, Mozilla Firefox version 53 or later, Microsoft Edge on Windows 10, Safari version 10 or newer on Mac OS 10, 12, 1 or newer, and even Opera version 37 you can use Amazon Prime Video. Various issues occur with Amazon Prime Video, and they are very much device-specific. One of the best ways to deal with it when you get an error message is just to Google the error message, and 9 times out of 10, you'll be taken to the Amazon website, and it'll tell you what the problem is. However, there can be other issues, such as video server issues, but the main issue I found with Amazon Prime, I'm using an Amazon Fire Stick here particularly, is it being unable to detect the network even in a when you've got really good network reception in that particular room i don't know what the problem is whether it's because it's an older amazon prime video stick or amazon fire tv stick i should say or if it just is a caching issue so you can clear the cache and clear um, data on uh, any amazon prime app whether it's on a mobile device or if it's actually the Fire Stick itself, you can also just restart it to restart things. But um, I would say the older Fire Sticks, you need to move on from because they are kind of clunky and every time there's an update, it's taking up more space on the device, which gives you less space for everything else on your device. Yeah, precisely. Um, I would also say, I mean, always, always try the classic, have you tried turning it off and on again? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a good one. The only problem is, um, I mean, I suppose it's not so much a problem with a browser or a app on a, any other kind of device, I suppose. But with the app, because it's the actual Amazon Fire Stick, turn it off and on again. It does take a bit of a while to reboot. It does actually, and I know when I've done it and had to then wait, you know, a full like two minutes for it to whir back into life, <laughs> uh, with kids and people getting increasingly angry that the the TV has stopped working, so uh, yeah, do it lightly. <laughs> do it lightly, yes. Uh, we're going to move on now to, uh, there's a thing called UPMP, Universal Plug and Play, which you may have heard of or you may not have heard of. It's usually found in relation to routers, uh, but it's, it's a little bit unclear what it is to a lot of people. So what is UPMP, Gavin? Well, uh, as it sounds, you you plug it in and you start playing. <laughs> um, but outside of that, you know, extremely uh, useful and descriptive uh, terminology, you UPnP effectively tells um, typically routers that the whatever you device you're plugging into your computer um, is okay to communicate with the rest of the devices within your network. So instead of you having to go in and configure files, um, and in the case, say, of uh, an internet-connected device, you won't have to forward any of the data from the router to the device and vice versa. Effectively, it, it, uh, it enables you to plug it in and start using it. Now, that sounds very good, and a lot of people use it um, because of the ease of, of use. 
but the, one of the biggest issues is security because UPnP assumes that every device with UPnP installed and enabled um, is a, a friendly device, shall we say. Uh, and the eagle-eared among us will be going, well, that doesn't sound right because what if it wasn't a friendly device that had UPnP installed on it regardless? And that is indeed one of the biggest flaws in UPnP in that it can enable unfriendly devices to take advantage of it, skirt security restrictions, and uh, infiltrate networks. Ouch. So it is a security risk, then? It is and it isn't. So as with many things that are security risks, um, a lot of the risk comes from devices that aren't configured correctly so you know one of the biggest things that people say is keep your devices up to date uh, and that's because uh, device updates often bring and install the latest security measures so and in the case of your router your wi-fi router downstairs or wherever it is in your house that's another device that still requires updates they're not as frequent as say windows or maybe your smartphone or what have you but it still does receive updates and when your router um, falls out of line with its updates it can become vulnerable to these sorts of issues okay so it's a good idea to disable UPnP or not well if you are running a router say that's out of date and maybe can't get a a new security update it's probably worth disabling but if you have a modern router that's maybe been bought in the last sort of four or five years it's up to date it receives frequent firmware updates that's the type of software that runs on a, on a router um, if it can receive those frequently then you shouldn't really technically have a problem with it However, you will read a lot of security advice saying, just disable it, you don't need it, it's not going to make a difference. And to a certain extent, that's true. But every now and then, you definitely will run into problems with devices where you plug them in and they don't communicate as you're expecting. And that's because you have turned off UPnP, Universal Plug and Play. Okay, so um, keep your hardware up to date where you can, and if you can't, then disable UPnP. Seems to be the takeaway there. Well, that brings us to the end, almost, of this week's really useful podcast from MakeUseOff.com. But before I close proceedings, I have a quick recommendation for you. Over the past few weeks, I've been veering towards recommending the oppo reno 8 pro and the reason i held off on recommending this phone is because the review wasn't ready yet and the phone wasn't actually out to buy but now it is and i'll include in the show notes the link to the review the camera on this device is absolutely stunning i think it's the best smartphone camera around at the moment it's certainly up there it is really really impressive it records uh in slow motion it records in the movie mode it records in the dark in a way that uh, will surprise you it's a very very good camera phone and it's a good phone as well 
You've been listening to The Really Useful Podcast. I'm Christian Corley. My co-hosts are Ben Stegner and Gavin Phillips. If you've enjoyed the show, let us know through our Facebook link or on Twitter. And if you have any thoughts about the show that you'd like to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, please do so. You'll find the link to that in the show notes if you're not already subscribed through Apple Podcasts. The podcast is available anywhere you can find podcasts. So if we've said something that you can share with your friends and family, some useful tips and tricks, etc. Use the uh, sharing feature and uh, maybe get them to subscribe via their preferred podcasting solution. We'll be back for another show soon. Until then, it's goodbye.